listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 Fezzy, I saw you and I thought Wednesday, but let's be honest, you have to come in for your comeuppance. I tell you what's not live, RJ. What's not live is my Portland series bet against the Lakers. So for those that don't listen every day, Fez is on, and we should say this now quickly and not belabor the point because it's ending soon, a 12-bet win streak. Not just his private bets, not some private crap. No, in front of the world right here, straight out of Vegas, 12 straight winners. Now, what I noticed was Fez was sitting on his winners. He was making bets about, like, you know, would the Olympics be in Tokyo in, like, 2028? He made a few bets about global warming in, like, 2050. Like, all, like, not just future bets, but future times 10 bets. It's like, hmm, I see a trend here. He's not betting anything that he could possibly lose. We didn't stand for that. So we forced him to make a bet on a series in the NBA with an underdog. Because if I promise... Any amount of money I would have bet, if you would have let him bet a series price, it would have been, hmm, Milwaukee minus 2,000 or whatever it was. 100 to make one. 100 to make, hey, 13 straight winners, baby. We don't, <laughs> we don't do it that way here. We do not do it that way here. He came with the Blazers. I don't know how much of this had to do with some strange thing with his wife where whenever Lillard does well, he screams dame time. But... I, in hindsight, and let's face facts, and then we'll talk about how good the Lakers are. What was your analysis at the time that made you think the Blazers, what was the plus number? Plus 360. All right, so you figure plus 360. Hey, we know they're going to lose more times than not, but plus 360 is a good bet. Obviously, in hindsight, it wasn't. What did you see wrong? The perimeter shooting, the Lakers had been so bad in the bubble, and that's Portland's weakness. Portland does not cover perimeter shooting very well. Hold on. I'm, I'm going to listen to your story. I'm going to open them out and do real quick. All right, go ahead. So my expectation was that our hope was that the Lakers' struggles would continue for whatever reason not shooting well in Orlando, and Portland could just pack it into the paint with their seven-footers, and if the Lakers were unable to hit threes, that Portland could go ahead and control the Lakers mm. so on the, offense. So the evidence that the Lakers were struggling as an outside shooting team was really those bubble games. Yes. And the evidence that they were not that bad shooters were the other 52 or how many games were it? 62 games there was or whatever? Yeah, 62. Okay. So what made you think that the eight games was of questionable motivation were pertinent over the 60-plus? Because I didn't think the motivation really mattered that much when it came to just shooting. That's not effort. That's just, do you like the backdrop? Have you been working on your game and the like? So I thought that the eight games in the bubble did have some significance that they had struggled so much. And there was, and let's give you some credit here, there was the idea, you know, it's funny, our producer, Matt, is not a gambler, right? We purposely picked a non-gambler. He's got, like, we call him Hollywood Matt. He's got, you know, a lot of movie stuff in his background, TV shows, and he puts up on the board, isn't this called recency bias? <laughs> so you literally have a non-batter just making fun of you right now. What would you say to that? Recency uh, bias. I, I, it's amazing he got the term correct, too. Exactly. At, but at, you got it incorrect. Oh, my goodness. And, and last night, it was the worst because 
Portland came in and packed the paint. They put Whiteside and Nurkic in, in, in the paint to stop the Lakers. First three three-pointers from the Lakers. Swish, swish, swish. It was 15-0 Lakers, and it was over. Actually, LeBron addressed some of your concerns. At, or Yeah, he addressed them after the game. Comparatively speaking, you are like a grain of sand in the Sahara Desert. Yeah, and I am the entire desert. Well, it wasn't LeBron directly, but conceptually, you don't doubt LeBron. No, and I got to tell you, I watched the whole— Well, I tend to, just in the right spot. (laughs) I watched the whole first half, and I got my comeuppance, and that was a painful game to watch. So you actually—they scored 80. You actually waited until the 80th point before you gave up? (laughs) When it was 78 in the first, you were, like, still attentive with your popcorn? You know, it shows how you—sometimes you grasp hold of things and you refuse to give it up because I— I'm not that way, but I I bet live, all right? And I'm willing to change my opinion. So by live, it's in-game, meaning that at any—so with NBA— can you bet live as the plays are going on, or is it stoppages, or how does at it work? At stoppages, at the timeouts. So there's odds, and what odds are up at a given stoppage? Let's say there's a stoppage, eight minutes left in the first quarter. What can you bet? Sides in total for the game. Right, and, and is that with a spread and money line? Yeah, the money line's up, although it got taken off for this game because it was so Oh, extreme. yeah, when, when, when one result can't happen, you can't have a money line. Lakers weren't going to lose at a certain point, right? Yes. Okay. What was the, what was the spread at halftime? Because what's surprising is... In the NFL, especially, if a team's up 30 to nothing, the spread in the second half might be the underdog by three because the theory is the other team's not going to keep trying as hard. They're up 30 nothing. What was the spread at halftime? Portland was laying three and a half. Oh, wow. Okay. Co- covered easily because of, <laughs> because of the a fourth quarter when Lillard, Lillard got hurt in the third quarter. So basically, nobody played in the fourth quarter. We're having fun with it, and we are actually. You know, listen, when you win 12 in a row, it's kind of hard to blame someone when they lose a big underdog, but it was a bad loss. And I think that Hollywood Matt's making an interesting point. There was a recency consideration, meaning when a team literally isn't sure they should even go to the bubble, when Dame's saying, do we really even have, should we go? And then they get really hot, but you look at the scores and not really exceeding the expectations on that much. They're just having these exciting close wins. Fortunate you, wins, too. Yeah, well, I mean, it seems like you, you go bought in. And then thinking, oh, by the, if anything, this was the recency bias of all recency biases. You got one team, barely a playoff team, really not prior to the bubble. The other team, the best team in the West prior to the bubble. The best team in the West locks up the number one seed, and they coast. The other team wins a bunch of close games, giving up like 130 points. You're like, give me some of that to win four out of seven. Yeah, in retrospect, absolutely. And even the last game in the bubble before they played Memphis, a game Portland needed to win, they're playing Brooklyn, god-awful Brooklyn, and Levert has to – he actually misses a game-winning shot that would have sent Portland home early. So I missed the clues. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas talking with Steve Fezzik. Jonas, a well-deserved day off. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Vegas responds to this statement by making L.A. the title favorites. So right now, do you have the the current odds in front of you? Yes. All right, so Lakers are what? Plus 285. So 100 wins you 285, a little better than 3-1. to The second favorite? Milwaukee, 3-1. to 3-1. to And the Clippers? 325. Okay. We're going to talk about the Clippers and... uh, 
they play, obviously, Dallas. I was shocked by the line. Line's gone up. It's pretty much said the zigzag is in effect. We'll talk about it. You also have a best bet coming up at 6.30 Eastern for that game. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Now the bets seem to be flowing. Now you have a loser. Well, I might be. That's interesting. It's not a loser yet. Uh, I could still go to 13 mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) I find it interesting what's happening in the bubble because I have a number of thoughts about why bubble scoring is way up. And I heard this stat on the Zach Lowe podcast. It's an amazing one. Dallas Mavericks had the best efficiency of any team this entire year. Or check that. The best efficiency of any team in the history of the NBA on offense. So for getting pace, just how effective they are per possession, no team ever. Michael Jordan, Wilt, Jerry West, Jerry Stackhouse. Oh, okay. Is regardless... They were not as good as Luka and the Mavs per possession. Seven teams in the playoffs are better efficiency than Dallas was this year in the regular season. So the greatest full season ever in the beginnings of this playoffs, and let's admit it's a handful of games, seven of the teams are more efficient than Dallas was, which was the best any team had ever been. Wow. And Dallas is one of them, and so is the Clippers. Both of them are better than the best team ever has been for this short time. And playoffs are supposed to be a time where teams play more defense, right? That's a shocking statistic. Well, that would be like back when they said before there was a forward pass. I mean, it might have been something at some (laughs) point. I believe there's a number of reasons why the bubble lends itself towards this, but I want to get your thoughts first. Why do you think the scoring is up so much in the bubble? I certainly see the teams offensively not slowing it down. The pace has been there. But really, just to be clear, efficiency wouldn't account for pace. You're right. right? You're right. You're so, right. And I'm not saying the pace isn't there, too, but we're talking about the efficiency. Yeah, and you know the shot-making has been just beyond impressive. I'm seeing guys take shots. You know, Lillard but is Steve, obvious. Steve, what you're saying is they're efficient because they are making shots. Yes, they're making shots. That, it's a circular logic. Here's my thinking. One is the lack of distraction. The fact of the matter is, if you're a millionaire and you're traveling around, whatever you're doing, at the clubs, whatever, even if you're not at the clubs, tickets, people worried, just nothing but basketball here. It's helping, it seems. Number two, there's never a time ever that a player gets to shoot in the same gym, in the same environment, game after game after game. Even if you're playing at home, it's only half of your games. Mm. The other time, you're on the road. Here, it, it would, obviously the sight lines and stuff are not disadvantageous, but it's the being familiar with it as time passes, which under that theory... It would keep improving. And I don't know if this is true or not, but when Luca hit that long shot, you look, he looked down to see where he was. He didn't look up to see where he was. That was weird. It makes me think that he had a mark he was going to. And those great scores, they often are taking shots. Now, when you're in the lane and stuff, you know where the basket is relative to the elbow or whatever. Who knows? Was there a mark out there he was looking for? Watch that replay. That's a great point because I know in pregame shoot shoot around, oftentimes you see a guy focus in on four or five spots on the court. That's his spot where he'll take multiple practice shots right before a game starts. So I think that same shooting environment is a big advantage for the shooters. Number three, 
think about if home field advantage, home court advantage, is it that it adds something or does the road take something away? So, for example, in the NFL, if you're an offense, it's a disadvantage being on the road because of the loudness. You might not be able to hear your calls, whatever. Well, I think generally the shooters, the players that struggle on offense, struggle on the road, not because they don't have the advantages at home. It's the crowd. It's getting jeered. It's the noise, whatever it is. That's all gone now. So, in a way, it's like both teams have no disadvantages to score, whereas if you're home, the other team has a disadvantage, and if you're on the road, you have the disadvantage. One team always has a scoring disadvantage. Here, none of the teams, neither, have a scoring disadvantage in the bubble. Also, a lot of these young players, and let's be honest, the young players have been doing best, an AAU background, and that AAU background creates an environment where they're playing in gyms. It's low pressure. There's a stand, but there's not many people in them. It just feels very similar to what's happening in the bubble. And that low pressure, lack of self-consciousness, calm, it always benefiting the familiarity with the gym and the court. And lastly, and Bill Simmons mentioned this way back at the beginning, the lack of photographers on the baseline and the openness there seems to have more creativity on the baseline and also more guys beelining right to the rim for slam dunks. They're not afraid of going up and over and through and hurting themselves like Paul George did way back when in Vegas. In general, I think that's opening up the whole game because people beeline to the rim more. Have you noticed that watching the games? You know, I have noticed that. And initially, the first games in the bubble, we saw a lot of guys getting their bearings. They would step out of bounds because no one was there, so they didn't have their peripheral vision and such. They weren't sure exactly where they were on the court, and I'm not seeing that any anymore where guys are stepping out of bounds by a couple inches on their corner threes. All right, so if you add it up, and, and just to quickly reiterate, lack of distractions, same shooting environment. This is all what's helping scoring efficiency – the negative of the road being removed, the calm, low pressure of the environment. It's similar to AAU type that a lot of these young players are familiar with. And finally, the lack of photographers and obstructions past the rim are causing more beelines, beeline type straight to the rim type drives. You add it all up, literally, and we'll repeat it one more time, seven teams of the 16 are more efficient than the Mavs this year, which were the most efficient team in the history of the NBA on offense. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Number what on our countdown from 32 down? Number 12, Green Bay Packers. All right, so first thing we do now is we just get to the force pick to start. Over under is what on the season? 16 games. How many games are we expected to win? Nine wins. All right, so the juice is what? A little bit to the under, minus 120 to the under. All right, so under is smidges the juice, but you got to win 10 to win over, eight or less to win under. What do you got? Lean under. Green Bay overrated, RJ. Why is Green Bay overrated? Well, amazingly, despite winning 13 games. All right, so here's what we need to do. We need to skip past all the close games, the point differential, because that's built into the line. When a team wins 13 games, and we can tick them off real quick, but when a team wins 13 games and they don't lose any key players and their total comes in at nine, it assumes 
that they maybe should have won 10 games or 11 games a year before. Spot on. And they did go 8-1 and one in close games. So basically what Vegas is saying, hey, Green Bay won 13 games, but they really won, should have won 9 or 10. 9? I mean, when you win 13, you probably shouldn't have won 9. There's something going on that isn't necessarily evident in the stats if you win 13, right? Yes. I mean... Aaron, let's give Aaron Rodgers credit. I'm the biggest Aaron Rodgers skeptic there is, I think. Especially, I would say, in the national media, because they're all in love with him for some weird reason. I mean, the guy couldn't really win much when he was at his best, to be candid. If only Mendenhall didn't have that fumble with Steelers, they wouldn't have won that one Super Bowl. But still, give him the one. That's it. Didn't even make another one. There's something wrong with him when it comes to team, building, whatever. Obviously. But... He is a really good pressure quarterback, it seems like, in the regular season, a minimum. And he doesn't turn the ball over. So, so Green Bay was plus 12 in turnovers. Yeah. And you can make the case, hey, I would expect that they're going to be plus more, more often than not, right, because of Aaron Rodgers. I think that's true, though. You could make the case his stats are worse because he won't throw in positions. That might be an occasional interception. But net-net would be better for them by taking chances. And LaFleur is known. He said, throw downfield, throw downfield. He didn't want to. Some of the best quarterbacks of all time have thrown a lot of interceptions because you gain more by taking the risks than not. But let's accept 10 wins maybe was reasonable. They won 13. That's the downgrades a game from the 10 to the 9. That feels reasonable. The question is, what has changed with Green Bay year over year? All right, Aaron Rodgers is overrated. He has been declining. He's only 36, but I went back. I looked at next-gen stats. This is very interesting. How accurate is Aaron Rodgers? Did you have your bifocals on when you were looking at the the, the internet site? <laughs> yes. Okay, go ahead. So the last, I, I was shocked by this. The last three years, Aaron Rodgers has been below average in terms of expected completions where they go ahead and analyze how open is the receiver. All right, he's making this throw. The average quarterback completes at 60%. Aaron Rodgers would be less. He's been below average. He's ranked 28th, 27th, and 18th the last three years. So what stat is that exactly? It's, the stat is that based upon how open the receiver is, the likelihood that the completion happens, and he's underperformed in that way. Yes, completion percentage versus expectation. All right, so you're saying that they grade every quarterback the same way as in how open is this receiver – the ball either gets thrown on target or it doesn't. And Rodgers ranked what in that stat the last three years? 28th, 27th, and 18th. Or as Chevy Chase would say, not good. Not good. And th- these rankings are in line with what is QBR, the stat we normally go with, has been the last two years, 16th and 20th. So your thinking is, I think everyone agrees that's knowledgeable about the NFL. Green Bay was not a 13-win team when it comes to their quality. They were on the field and give them credit. But they weren't that good. We saw them against the 49ers. Hey, good teams lose games all the time, but they were dominated in that game. This year, their win total was nine. Now, usually if a team wins 13 games, the win total ends up being what? 11. 11. Yeah. This is really the market saying Green Bay was not the quality of a 13-win team. But my question is, at nine, you could think they were way overrated last year and still like over here. You lean under, leaning implying you don't like it strong either way. Why towards the under? I think Aaron Rodgers could well respond negatively to this whole trading up in the draft for his replacement. And I understand some people are saying, hey, he's going to come out with a chip on his shoulder. But I think that more than likely it's going to create friction between him and LaFleur, the coach, 
And because of that, that, that could absolutely be a big problem for Green Bay, and I'm going to go ahead and lean under nine wins. But I'm not certain that, he, that he, Rodgers isn't going to come out with a chip on his shoulder. Yeah, to me, this whole idea that they are trying to get rid of... I mean, let's be candid. By all reporting inside of Green Bay, the assumption is that Green Bay, other than Rodgers, the front office, the powers that be, are sick of Rodgers. It's just they're walking on eggshells. He's mad about this. He's mad about that. The idea that them finally making a move to get to say, hey, enough already. The tyrant is going to be gone. I'm not sure we should think that's a part. I mean, if anything, maybe Rodgers would be conciliatory and say, you know, I kind of been messing this up. The idea that he's the aggrieved party, I find ludicrous. Chip on his shoulder. Maybe the guy should have just acted right so he's not making everyone mad at him in the building. I mean, that's just my opinion. Lean under. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.